This podcast is brought to you by the Los Angeles Inner Group of Overeaters Anonymous. Please visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three podcast feeds of over 200 sound files of individual speakers as well as events such as retreats and workshops. You'll also find order forms for ordering CDs of many of these speakers through the San Fernando Valley Inner Group of OA. Finally, we have a donation button where you can contribute to keeping this valuable service continuing for yourself and others. Again, our website is www.oalaig.org. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Lonnie G. Thank you. My name is Lonnie, and I'm a grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater. Hi, Lonnie. Thank you. Thank you. Doing that sounds good. It's okay. It's okay. It just fine. I project pretty well. Um, wow. Wow. Good celebrations here. Wonderful celebrations here. And I must say, and I'm not discounting anybody's celebration, but at 30 days, at 30 days, when I got a 30-day chip, it was probably the most profound thing that ever happened to me in Overeaters Anonymous because I was still that close that I could still remember what it tastes like. It, for me, was candy. I mean, I ate it breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, everything in between. And, and I was that close. And I remember eating that chip and holding it thinking, it's been 30 days since I've eaten, and you just go to 7-Eleven, write a list of it, and that's what it's been 30, 30 days since I had eaten. It was the most profound thing. I've, um, gee, I've had a couple of celebrations re- relatively close of late. I turned 65, just a couple, on the oh, first. Hi. Oh, hi. April 1. April 1, 65. And also this year, in the, in the February, I celebrated 22 years of abstinence. And I've got to thank you very much. And I've got to tell you, it has not been perfectly smooth, without bumps in the road, also absolutely easy. And I say that only because that's my story. And what gets in the way and what, what has been in the way, and I'm going to talk about that here, has been me. Program is impeccable. You do what it says in the big book, doggone, it works every single time. But a relatively short while ago, at this point it must be maybe about three or more years ago, um, I was diagnosed as being hypoglycemic. And I've always heard that word and always thought, yeah, this is what people say when, you know, everybody wants to be really special, yada, yada, yada. I, too, am recovering from my own terminal uniqueness. And, and, and I, that's just, so I go to the doctor because I've been having really bad sugar drops and kind of strange things that have been happening, you know, and they run blood tests, which they've done before, and I know that I've had, my blood sugar is very low on the range of what blood sugar is supposed to be. Mine rides very low. I'm right at the right above the, the bare end of it before it drops off in the cyber guts or something. And they said, uh, this is what's happening. Because as my blood sugar would drop during the day, I would write things down so I could be extremely accurate when I tell somebody what's happening. And I was extremely accurate. And they said, oh, this is really simple. Two hours after a meal, this is what's happening. And, and, and they said, we're going to send you to a nutritionist. And she is going to help you with your food. And I looked at my doctor and I said, I don't need any help with my food. I really, and I meant exactly that. And from that point on, I had a real resentment towards somebody, A, marching through my food, 
telling me what to eat and when to eat it and in what proportions, telling me what an apple looks like. I know what an apple looks like. I know it's not the size of my head, but I also know it's not the size of my eyeball. You know, it's not a grape. It's an apple, okay? And so all of a sudden, this strange person marches through the very thing that I protect at all costs. And when I came in here, um, I would ask people, you know, well, what's abstinence? You know, what is it? Can you guys tell me what it is? And I found out that it had to be what I decided it was going to be because the truth is if you had told me I was not going to do what you told me to do, I wasn't. So I began abstaining. And, and it, what it meant to me was that I had breakfast and it ended. I had lunch and it ended. And I had dinner and it ended. And that was early on. And it was very calorie-laden, but I came into Overeaters Anonymous, I forgot to tell you this part, at 340 pounds. And so whatever it was that I was doing, I started, I began losing weight right away. I exercised, I did, I did just, you know, good, healthy things, but I still had meals that had size to them. And my sponsor at the time just smiled at me and said, just keep doing what you're doing, just keep doing what you're doing, because there is something that says, you know, and, and, and the road gets narrower, and that's what happens, things and you know what, and I naturally progressed on, and, and it was going just fine until I had that meaningful conversation with a, with a nutritional professional, to which I did not invite into my food. And my sponsor said these words to me. She said, Lonnie, this does not mean, oh, because what I was directed to do was I had, instead of eating three meals a day, and I'm not talking gargantuan meals here, but instead of eating three meals a day, you're going to have to maybe want to eat four to five smaller meals a day. The term smaller and meal are not synonymous terms for me. Okay, right there, right there they almost lost me. Small and meal at your direction is not, it just, and I, I, I had a hard time with that, but I, I, was, I cooperated and there was something that just did not feel right about attempting to reshift it. It didn't need to be shifted, you know. There should be a pill for this, right? So I have this talk with my sponsor, and she says, this is not licensed for you to have more food. Now I'm already traumatized. I'm right at the point of cardiac arrest at, at her having said these words to me. She said, what this means is you will borrow a little from breakfast, and you'll drop it in between. And you'll borrow some from dinner, and you'll drop that in between. Because the object of the game is my blood sugar is very low, and I don't need it to spike. I need it to just hold. I struggled from that point on. It became a food... Issue, struggle, rebellion. Now, I, did, I have never walked out and gone back to sugar. 22 years, I could give a rip less. All right? I, it's not mine. I worship it. I go to the birthday parties. I celebrate the cakes and the cookies and all that great stuff, and it's not mine, and it's not my issue. It is truly the alcohol for me, and salt was only used to chase it because you've got to clean your palate with something before you can start eating sugar again. And so, um, I never took back my alcoholic foods. However, my, my meals, instead of me borrowing that thing from breakfast and borrowing it from dinner and balancing it out so that, well, that kind of, kind of like didn't help. And so, you know, one and one half teaspoons, I can't believe I actually say this, I'm a hundred pounder. One and one half teaspoons, give me a break. I cry more tears than that. You know, one and one half teaspoons of peanut butter, and I literally eat that. And today I'm very much at one with that I have to do things slightly different. I have to put a small quantity of food in between breakfast and lunch and in between lunch and dinner. And then I have to watch. And no, the apple cannot be the size of my hubcap. It has to be 
smaller than my fist, actually, is what she said. I'm looking at that like, oh my. You know, one fruit is a watermelon in my house. A contained unit of one, all right? And I've argued that point many times, and my sponsor says no. So um, that changed things for me, and, and it has been a mental attitude just around my food. The blessing, and there is a blessing in this entire story, is that I have learned many, many lessons in here. And one of them is, don't leave. Don't lie, especially to yourself, okay? And take direction. Follow direction. And so, you know, my sponsor and I are back and forth and back and forth, and she's giving me all the good stuff, and I don't play yes, but, and yeah, but, because she's not that kind of woman. Okay, she, that, that, you know, follow direction, Lonnie. And finally, I, a few months ago, I just finally sat down and just said, you know what, God? I'm done with this. What am I really supposed to do? And what is it? I'm supposed to have a slightly smaller breakfast than I've been having because in between I get one and one half teaspoons of peanut butter. Can't eat peanuts, by the way. Can't eat nuts and can't eat rice cakes. Don't ask. It just makes me nuts. And I get a lunch, a decent lunch. I, I, I have a food plan. It works out just fine for me. And in the afternoon, and sometimes I don't need it. I'm supposed to do it if, whether I need it or not. But if I don't need it, eh, I blow it. Otherwise, I will once again eat like either a tiny piece of cheese or one and one-half teaspoons measured of peanut butter. And you know what? That's just fine. If that's the worst thing I have to contend with for the rest of my life, I'm doing just fine. It was a real head thing for me, though, for that period of time, because I did not want to, I just didn't want to be told. I don't want to be told. I willingly do some things. I love this program. I love the 12 steps. I, I watched them go to work in my behavior with other people, you know. I'm a much easier to uh, be around person than I was when I came into this program. When I came into this program at 340 pounds, and I, my home meeting is the 100-pounder meeting, and please understand when I always give this little disclaimer. Please understand what I'm going to say. I do not discount the, the power of anybody's disease because I believe in your disease. Your disease wants you to die. It wants to kill you. Unfortunately, oftentimes we walk around in a fog that says, all I really have to do is do the next, you know, diet du jour. You know, you can go buy any magazine and there's the diet du jour and, and everything will be fine. And it isn't. It isn't. Over and over and over again, and I don't have a real strong dietary history, but over and over and over again we hear about people who say, diets just didn't work for me. No, diets don't work for me either. It takes a power way greater than myself, and I already think I'm pretty doggone good, but it takes a power way greater than myself to contain and corral on a daily basis the disease that I have that pushes me to want to consume to the point that it wants to kill me. 22 years, 22 years, I'm very comfortable in abstaining from compulsive overeating. I'm very comfortable in not going to my alcoholic foods. I don't do that. I'm also very, very faithful in knowing that my disease is just waiting. And at any given time, and I'm going to give you, demonstrate just a little example of something that happened to me by now, it might have been a couple of years or more ago even, um, at, at, at how sneaky it is. It is insidious. It, it is there. Please believe it is there. I'm going on Friday to the memorial of a, of a person who regularly attended the 100-pounder meeting on Thursday. 
And he died of congestive heart failure, a young man. A young man. Way younger than my age today. Okay? Um, I forget where I was going, so hopefully somebody will hold that thought and ask me that question later. Um, anyhow, the disease, it, it... I've been abstaining a very long time. I have worked many inventories, and am I done? Oh, heck no. There's always some good little thing to work on because that resentment will pop right up. And I'm not good with anger and resentment. I give fantastic festivity. I want to stand on your front porch with a spear in my hand, a cape and a helmet with the two horns that stick up, and defend your world and defend anything that comes within my circle. It is what I do. I cannot do that. I cannot fight everybody's battles. I can learn. I can grow. I can share. I can listen. I learn a lot from you. I can abstain one more day. I get Saturday, just like the rest of you. The newcomers here, welcome to this program. Welcome. I sat in the back. There's some pictures going around. Um, and the largest picture in there really doesn't even do it full justice. You know, and I thought I was smart. I was just, just I, I know how to read. I could do stuff. I had not a clue. And the best thing, the only thing, in fact, that I learned early on in the program, the only direction I remember directly taking was I kept coming back. And the only reason I kept coming back, I was too chicken to tell the lady that I came with that I wasn't going to go back. It was a Tuesday night. I was too chicken to tell her because I was truly at the bottom. I was 5'6". I'm 5'5". Now, don't ask me where that inch went, but I'm real resentful about that inch. And they measured me when I bone density thing, and I went, I don't want to hear that. I want my inch back. So, 340 pounds, you know. Hair out to here, Mumu, I'm the queen of Mumus, Mumu, and men's shoes most of the time, oh, athletic shoes and stuff, because my feet were really large. And, you know, when I got married, I got married at 18 and 30 days, and I wore at largest a size 8. I wear size 11. The human body was not meant, my body, my frame, was not meant to carry that kind of weight. Yes, I do. Um, I do show the... What is it my, my, my sponsor calls it? She says the battle scars. I do have the battle scars, you know, of having, of having known that kind of weight burden. Oh, I know where I was going previously. But I never discount the power of anybody's disease predicated upon how much weight you carry. That this just happens to be my story, and this is the position from only which I can share with you. I have met some of you, and drop dead slim and gorgeous and nutty as a fruitcake and I'll go oh my God almighty and all I can really say is God bless you keep coming back if you keep coming back you are guaranteed to catch the recovery because it's in here the recovery virus is in here it is not at Baskin Robbins it is not at 7-Eleven all the places that you think you are sneaking we don't know about we've done it we've eaten it it all tastes exactly the same um, but just keep coming back come on in have a seat come on join in <laughs> Okay, um, when I, and I'll give, let me give you just a nutshell history here. I'm a native daughter of Los Angeles. I grew up right here in Los Angeles, and about six or seven years ago, I discovered that I really was not the only child that I'd been told on a daily basis that I was, that I actually had a sister. I did meet her. Uh, my mother gave her away at birth. She's a, just about three years younger than me, and, you know, we kind of had a little coming together, and then it kind of didn't work, and, you know, God bless her, and she also has a 12-step program, and we are each in our own recovery, but it did create a real problem for my mother who was not prepared to, to face something that she thought she had gotten rid of 50-plus-plus years before. 
and 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 so now I realize that I'm not an only child. So, uh, however, we have they're the same mother but different fathers. So I could still claim my absolute terminal uniqueness that I had when I came to you because I really was. And am. I believe that we are all unique. We are unique in that we are all God's children. And I also believe that we are all related because of that. One of the things that, one of the joys of Overeaters Anonymous for me is that I can look around the room and I might not know your names. I will remember your faces most of the time. And um, the commonality that brought us all together this afternoon, there's a common thread that is here among us. Otherwise, believe me, I would be hanging out in movies right now trying to get a little air conditioning, you know, and to see something, you know, George Clooney, somebody excite me. And, and I wouldn't be here doing this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing this. You know, but the commonality that pulls us all together that I just love and I plug into is that we share a disease that wants to kill us. And we come together and we share that. And as long as we do that, we have sponsors, we tell the truth, we work the steps, when in doubt, we go to somebody that has that experience. The big book lays it out, people. We don't have to make it up. It lays it right out. And one of the things that saves me, because I, I will get into that crazy head, ego thing, and like I said, I, you know, I want the spear with the helmet with the two horns, because I'm going to do battle, and it's going to be good, and everybody's going to know about it, is, and it's my favorite prayer out of the big book, is the third step prayer. And it's actually the line that says, Relieve me of the bondage of self. And I read it over and over and over again. I went to lots and lots of meetings in the early days, especially I read it over and over and over again. And all of a sudden I realized what that meant. Relieve me of the bondage of self. Lonnie, self binds you. You know, get out of that. And how I might would ask, what am I supposed to do? And interestingly enough, about those issues, I would take direction. I took direction. I didn't take direction from my nutritionist all the time, but I took direction, okay? Um, I had a sponsor. We ended up becoming best friends. Best friends are good things, but that's not a sponsor. I needed a sponsor, sponsory relationship, sponsy relationship. And so for a while, I didn't have one, and I sort of borrowed my best friend's sponsor, but she didn't know it. So I paid real close attention to whatever was going on, and she had wonderful sage words of wisdom, which usually interpreted to say, uh, you know, go back and read this in the big book and then do some writing on it, and we'll get together. And I think, oh, I could write on it. At least I could get that part done. And then there was a woman that I'd heard speak many times, and for a long time I, I thought I really would like to ask her to be my sponsor, you know. And finally I got up enough nerve. It was a birthday party, and I saw her. She was there with her husband. And I went, oh, my God, she's here. It's a sign. It's a sign that I'm supposed to get up enough nerve and go and talk to her. Understand this. I'm a fear-based woman. I very much operate in fear. There's a little statement. Um, I have quite a few little statements at my desk, but one of them says, as we work to make our life large, fear works to make our life small. I love that. Isn't that great? I love that. You know, as we work to make our life large, fear works to make our life small. And the first time I heard a woman say that, it just rushed right into my heart. And I went, oh, my God, because I'm a fear-based person. And, and I've had many people tell me, no way, Lonnie. Oh, yes, I have a personality that's really relatively definite. I know this. But I'm a fear-based person. And having to maybe tread somewhere or having to select someone who I respect their program, and I'm not going to turn it into my best friend that we're going to, you know, run to the movies together all the time and talk trash. Um, 
And I, had, and I was selecting somebody that I was going to be honest with, that I was going to tell the truth, and I was selecting somebody that I was going to allow to give me direction to how to use the program of Overeaters Anonymous to get relief from the feelings that caused me to eat over, that caused me to run with the disease, let the disease have me. But the operative term in there for me was I was selecting somebody that I was going to trust with the real stuff. And I did select her. And I want you to know, I don't always want to know what she has to say. And she has no qualms at all about giving me direction and saying it. And just recently, last, last week, not this last past week, but the week previous, um, my, instead of going to my Thursday night meeting, I had to be in Monrovia. And, and a friend and I had to be in Monrovia at 7.30. I work near LAX. So we figured we could, you know, hit the road at 6. By 7.30, we'd be in Monrovia. Oh, God. You can tell how old I am and what traffic used to be like. Anyway, I get to Monrovia at 7.29. Oh, by the way, I, like, didn't have anything to eat. Okay, so I could stall that down a little bit and I'll eat when I get home. I got home at about 10.40 that night and I was shaking. I had I had done a bad thing. This is what I'm not supposed to do. Well, so, okay, so I, 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 I wolfed a, a fast dinner. No, I'm not a salad. I can't take, can't take that time to start chewing. You know, it's got to be able to swallow it. It's got to be good because pretty soon I have to go to bed. It can't be that big. But then the next morning I talked to my sponsor, and she quickly, succinctly reminded me that not only am I a compulsive overeater, I am a hypoglycemic, and I cannot, I'm not taking care of myself if I do that to myself. And I did not want to hear that. And, and, and right away I'm like, oh, I'm feeling a real resentment growing here. And then I had to step back and say, and you know something? I can feel that way. I can, and, and she has said to me, Lonnie, you can feel anything you want to feel, as long as you don't eat. You know, there used to be a piece of literature that was my favorite thing. I used to read it a lot when I was early on in the program, and it said that we abstain we refrain from, we abstain from compulsive overeating and negative thinking. And I went, ooh, that negative thinking thing. And that was when I stopped reading Murphy's Laws all the time because they're all negative. Okay? But then I happened to quote this to her one day and she said, oh no, you can feel as negative as you want to feel. You just don't eat. And I went, ooh, let me write that one down because I got a feeling that's going to come back and revisit me again if I don't memorize it right. And so, anyway, she just reminded me and not harshly, harshly, but firm so that I heard her and I repeated back to her to make sure she knew that I heard what she said. I wasn't taking care of myself and I have to do better than that. And I trust and I told her the truth. Back in the day, um, I was probably in my fifth year of abstinence. Who is around? Who is close to five years of abstinence in here? Who's close? Somebody's close. At five years, I made a startling, startling discovery. I had the epiphany of my life. I found out I didn't know very much. I've been abstaining for five years. People have been asking me to speak. Somebody even asked me to lead a retreat, and I said, absolutely not. And I ran screaming out of the room, and I'm so glad I did that. Um, but at five years, what was happening to me was I was being slammed emotionally, and I was eating at the time sugar-free things that are not healthy for me to eat that I stopped eating right away because I could see the behavior jump real fast. I mean, you know, from a serving to the package, and, and I go there. I, I, I run there with it. 
And I, I decided at that point that I was going to seek a food sponsor, and it, it was the same criteria. Somebody who was very firm in the program, who was really firm with their abstinence, who, um, somebody who doesn't co-sign my BS. Okay, you can find any, anybody will co-sign anything for you in a 12-step program, I believe. Some, and, and I called him, and he pressed me to the wall about my abstinence. And I, I guess I must have, I told the truth is what I did. And I, and I called him every day for three and a half years. We, we are still very good friends today. And I told him the truth when I stopped calling him. I really needed, I needed the, a sponsor, and I needed, I needed the sponsor that I have now as a sponsor sponsor, not a food sponsor. I needed help uh, with, at, at that time. And I, and I always suggest that we get help if we need it, okay? Um, but I'll, I'll give you that little bit of nutshell history I was going to tell you about. When I came into Overeaters Anonymous, I, uh, I grew up here in, in California. I was born in Los Angeles. I'm a native daughter. And I grew up here in the 50s. I grew up an only child. So forget the sister thing because I grew up being told daily that I was an only child. And, and my racial background is black, white, Japanese, and Hawaiian. And I can probably guess in any large number of any group smaller than Times Square on New Year's Eve, you're probably not going to find anybody that fits that combination. So I've always been unique. I've always been terminally unique. I could divide myself out from you quickly, no problem at all. I could include and exclude at, at my own will and, and not think about it one way or the other. And I basically don't think about it one way or the other. And I've come to understand that, and when I talked about what our commonality is, when I started to attend meetings regularly, what I saw in the meetings was our commonality. I saw the fact that even though racially, uh, the demographics, where I live and where you live, where I went to school and where you went to school, what what religion I am or whether you are or you aren't, um, doesn't really matter. What matters is our commonality with the disease and do we link hands with each other and help each other to get past one more day. How many in, in, in here have ever struggled at all maybe with your food or you think you're struggling with your food or your, you? Thank you so much for your honesty. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, this is kind of what I was told when I began abstaining. The first day of abstinence for me was a Friday, not a Monday. I refused to begin anything, including jobs, on a Monday. I started on a Wednesday generally, and my abstinence started on a Friday. It started the Friday after a Thursday night 100-pounders meeting that was an absolutely powerful, powerful, huge meeting at the Federal Building back in the day. It was in Westwood, and it was easily maybe 100 people there, easily. And a young woman shared, and she was drop-dead gorgeous, and she given up 169 pounds and she was beautiful and I was mesmerized. You know, I just looked at her and went, I want that. Now, what I wasn't hearing was how much work she did to get, no, I want that. You know, a dream without work is a fantasy. I'm real good at that fantasy thing. But I believe that we should have a dream but it it means that we work towards it. And anyway, I was really moved by her that that Thursday night. Ten minutes? I was moved by her that Thursday night and that Friday morning I began abstaining. I began... Um, refraining from compulsive overeating because I'm a hardcore sugar junkie from the 5 o'clock in the morning when I would bake cakes <laughs> with an S, one for me and one for the family, until I came in in the evening, about 7.30 in the evening, where I ended on a day like this. I was sitting at home wrapped up under a blanket so that nobody could see how swollen my ankles were because at that time they were about the size of my calves. And I, you know, I, I couldn't let 
I mean, my God. Heaven forbid somebody should actually see how big I actually was. Okay? And so, why did I, why did I go there? Um, anyway, that's how I, when, when I came to Overeaters Anonymous, that is how, that's how I came in. And um, I was told just a couple of things that I was able to hang on to, to keep coming back, not to leave. And I listened to people who shared a lot of things that I did not think needed to be spoken of in the rooms that I have since definitely shared on the same level. I'm on tape. I won't share that here. And, um, and the other was I heard people say things like, I am, I'm not, I, I'm, I've gone, it's been a week since I've had white flour and sugar. It took every corpuscle I had not to stand up and call them a damn liar. And the only reason, the only reason in that meeting that I didn't do that was because I'd been to a lot of meetings and I never ever observed anybody else standing up and calling the speaker a damn liar. And that's the only reason. And I thought, there's no way. They're liars. There's, there's no way. So anyway, this particular Friday morning after this really meaningful meeting on Thursday night, I, my thought was, I'm going to try this for one day. They told me that if I didn't like it, I could always take it back. And that, that's how I began abstaining. And that was how I, the lines that I drew was, I had breakfast, beginning and an end. And somebody said 20 minutes. Ah, I could eat Los Angeles in 20 minutes. Um, and then I had to do my work at work. I had to work, focus, function. And then lunch happened. And I got it again. Okay, life is good. And then by the time lunch ended, because that was a little bit longer time, uh, I got it at dinner. And my attitude became, it's a Christmas gift. At the end of the day, it's Christmas Eve, and tomorrow I can unwrap the gift all over again, and I get it all over again. It was a long, long time before I could actually raise my head up and not just focus on my plate and to start to look at you and to learn from you and to find out the things that you did and to get a sponsor. And, and I started out right away reading the, the big book, but more so the AAs 12 and 12, because my first meetings were a step study, and we studied the AAs 12 and 12. So it was a while before I actually read the big book and then saw, you know, began to see where the recovery, two pages every day. I was told, read two pages every day, no matter what, read two pages every day, no matter what. And this is kind of what I'm going to say is the reason why I'm still here today, is because I, will, I was taught to take small steps, meaning one day. A small step is to get through one day. And if, and if I got through yesterday, and I abstained, and I took small steps, if I do the same thing today that I did yesterday, at the end of the day, I'll have two days. You know, two days. My first day, I actually had about four hours of abstaining, meaning from when I got up and by the time I actually got to my job without making all the little stops in West LA to collect what I needed before I met my van pool. And my thinking was that on that morning aside from the fact that I thought I was just glowing because I was abstaining, and they should all know this, that I lost my thought again. I have perfect memory, but I have faulty recall. Okay. Um, but that, oh, there, here it is. I had already been abstaining for about four hours, and I just didn't want to give it up. Four hours was a long time. Four hours without candy. Four hours without sugar. Period. Four hours without hiding and stuffing and, and, you know, trying to get the, you know, get the sugar out of my clothes so that nobody could see that I ate most of. Four, and I just didn't want to give that up. 
I'm so grateful that I stayed to listen to what you had to say and to find a sponsor, to work the program, to go to events, to listen, to learn, um, to stub my toe, to pick myself back up and keep going. And, and I'm just so grateful to everybody from whom I learned the lessons because without it, there is nothing else for me. It is, it is grim and sad, and I would choose to live my life instead joyous and happy. And that doesn't mean perfect, but it means that, you know, I try to lighten up and, and, and take direction and do what is in front of me. So thank you for letting me share. If I missed a thought, I'm going to open it up for questions, I think, questions, and, and then you could ask me, and then I'll try and grab the thought again. So thank you. When you have a um, thought about food, and now uh, instead of, oh, I'm not going to have that, instead of just using oh. what do you, what do you I'll tell you exactly what I do. Um, I am around people who are not compulsive overeaters in any way, and they eat desserts all the time. I don't back down off of any dessert table. I don't back away from birthday cake. I can't say that in the very beginning, beginning, because it was just too new for me. But it's all up in here, and I celebrate everything. I worship it. If you have a birthday cake, I worship that cake. I give it 20 seconds. I've seen some cakes that were absolutely powerful. I give them 40 seconds. I worship them. God, thank you so much, because I've eaten my share, my lifetime share of cake. I've eaten my lifetime supply of the cookies. I've had it already. It's no longer mine. And, and I, I don't have to go get a Diet Coke or, or anything. I celebrate. I'm so happy birthday. I will, I'm just joyous. I'll give them about 10 seconds of that, and I can't stand myself after that. And I back out. And here it is. I don't try to have the diet. A diet will say that you can have a two-inch square. I wear that for jewelry. You know, a two-inch square. There is no two-inch square. I remember being the most miserable wretch in the world because it must have been in the middle of the week and I had figured out, this was old-time Weight Watchers, and I had figured out my Weight Watcher calories, I was going to have one plain cake donut. Is that the lie of the century or what? So I, I'm not afraid to be in the vicinity of it. The trick is I don't have it. It's not mine. It is poison. And recently I was at a party. And the, and, and the lady, remember I said I'm in the company of people who are not compulsive overeaters, the big strawberries. And she dipped them all in chocolate, and they were beautiful. There were rows of them, rows of them. And you know what, what went off in my head when I saw them? Oh, God, she poisoned all the strawberries. <laughs> she poisoned them. And then she opened the refrigerator, and she'd taken a couple of them and cut a couple. Well, she didn't have to cut mine, but she cut a couple of them. She said, Lonnie, I know that you don't eat sugar. They think I'm a diabetic or something. And I said, that was so sweet of you to think of me like that. Thank you so very much. But that was the thought in my head. She poisoned all the strawberries. I can't eat them now. And I hold thoughts like that. We can laugh about this. I don't share this with them because they don't get it. These people are not compulsive overeaters. They really don't get it. And I've watched them, and I thought, how did I get in their company? God only knows. But that is how I address the alcoholic substances for me. It is the same as if she had sprayed that with Raid. Would I eat that? No, I wouldn't. Picture that. Picture it. I am not afraid to be in the room with it. It doesn't mean I visit bakeries, for God's sake, to stand around with nothing better to do. You know, take it out the air and wear it like perfume or something. I don't do that. 
but I'm not afraid to be in the vicinity of it, to wish people joy on their birthdays, joy of whatever the holiday is. I'm so happy for them, and it looks absolutely marvelous. And at the end of this month, at my job, somebody's going to produce a half sheet cake. It's going to have my name on it. I'm going to thank them so much and talk to somebody else in serving it. Another question. Yes. Hi, um, how did you find your higher power? I always believed in God. I always had a very strong belief in God. When I say always, from a little person. I, didn't be- I believe that God missed me. Um, it's a sad thing for a young girl, four, five, six years old, five, six at least, and, and, and it has to do with the circumstances under which I grew up also, but I just believe that God missed me, but I always knew he was there for everybody else. It wasn't until Overeaters Anonymous that I really came to understand that the Footprints poem was actually the story of my life. I was saved when I didn't realize that I was saved. And I have been eternally grateful ever since. I just asked my very first prayer, because I had, you know, resentments, a list of resentments that long. Then I was told, Lonnie, you pray for these people. What do you pray? I, so read the chapter in the big book on freedom from bondage which I thought was S and M-E and I didn't want to have anything to do with that but anyway I read the chapter and I will paraphrase it and the chapter basically says that we pray for people we pray for their I pray for their health wealth happiness peace love and joy and usually better driving habits and manners but I just tagged that on for me but anyway I pray for their health and I began to be free of and I didn't believe this because my, per- my first prayer ended in profanity and it was, you know what, God, I'm praying for this bitch because you know I don't like her. <laughs> That's the truth. That's the only time I ever did it on my knees. And I said, but I want her to have health, wealth, happiness, peace, love, and joy. And I did it daily. And after a while, I was able to tag on because at that point, I felt it. And I was able to say, and, and whatever I'm asking for myself, whatever goodness and blessings I'm asking for me, please give them to her first. And I became free of her. And she started to watch me a lot. And I thought, man, I'm really good because she's changing. And nobody changed in that equation but me. And I pray this prayer often, with love often, to people. And, and, and if you get in my way and I'll stub my toe, instead of me getting directly in your face, which is one of my favorite things to do, or take your inventory, which is my second favorite thing to do, I will pray that prayer. And it keeps me in a much better place. But how did I find God? I believe, this is Lonnie's belief, not Overeaters Anonymous, God is always there. It's always there, like a flame. Sometimes it burns. Real, sometimes God burns really bright and big, or very, very small like an ember, and all you have to do is blow on it, and it comes right back up. So I believe that God has always been there. I left and, and, and did something else. You know, I left and did something else. And I have come to just, I, I journal every night, and my, all of my writings in my journal are actually gratitude. Or, did I take, uh, no, I can't even say I wait till at night, because when I take bad action, or when, when I believe that I have behaved badly, I have to clean it up immediately. I cannot live with the nasty, squirmy feeling that I have really taken bad action. I will have to make amends immediately and, and clean it up, and then I will write about it. But most of my writings are writings of gratitude. I am so grateful, because in 22 years from 340 pounds, I would be the person that they would have to take the wall down out of the bedroom. That person lives inside of me all the time. You know, she just doesn't get to come out anymore because there's a better person there. 
Um, so I, I, I didn't grapple a lot with God. I did grapple with the fact that I didn't believe God was going to control my food or find me a parking space. <laughs> and actually, he does both. And the other thing that I've learned, and I want to, I'm, I'm going to stop on the God thing, is that I have a tendency to make God small. Make God huge. Huge. Stop making God small. My disease is huge. It is huge. It will be with me to the day I die. I am not wired like other people are wired. Then why would I want to make God small? And sometimes when things get difficult, I realize I am, I am asking too small. Remember I said I was fear-based? I'm also, uh, uh, finances and fear click right in for me. I have a connection with that. I learned to be abstinent, to be absolutely broke when I had more, mon- more months than money, and to be just fine. I let God be big. And you know what? I haven't missed a meal. Wait, somebody says I've missed about 11 of them. She's, I'm sort of amortizing them for me, and at one point I'm going to maybe ask for one back, but I never get it. That's a joke. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I have really learned that when, when, I, when life gets difficult for me, it's because I am narrowing God in, and I need to just relax and just let him run. Okay, and you know what? I'm done. Thank you for letting me share my program.